The Texas Rangers have spent big in the early days of free agency, but what other moves can the team make and how close are they to making a return to the postseason? Hello there. And welcome to another episode of Metroplex Mania. I'm your host, Shanavaz Makani. As always, Metroplex Mania is brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. I am very happy to be joined once again by my friend Emma Hooten of the Did You Hear podcast, also part of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. Emma, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on again. I'm I'm excited. I know things are very good with you, so I'm excited to get into everything. Yeah, so we'll just, we'll kick it right off. I mean, you know, when we talked, you know, when when you came on and we talked kind of Rangers offseason and and what the future held for this team and and what we were looking at and and kind of how we expected things to go, I think this is a complete 180 of of what I personally expected, and I know you feel the same way. Um. You know, I was of the mindset of, you know, let's build up your roster, build up your prospects, see how they do. Um, And, you know, Monday afternoon, we start getting word that that the Rangers are in on Marcus Simeon, who I didn't even think they would would touch with a 10 foot pole because of the age and just the the trajectory of the team um, where they are right now. But word comes down the pipeline and it's seven years, $175 million for a guy who finished third in the AL MVP voting last year. You, what are your initial reactions just as a baseball fan hearing that, that Simeon is coming to Texas? Yeah. So first of all, I was in the car when I saw it, I was coming back from a giants game actually. And I was stunned that Simeon was the first guy to go of all the free agents that were available. Simeon was the first. And then more importantly, well, uh, there are three parts. The fact that Semyon was first, I thought the money was much more and the years were much more than I was expecting. And then lastly, that it was the Rangers. And I meant to listen to our last recording like today, but I didn't have time. <laughs> I obviously listened to it after because I wanted to remember exactly what we said. And it's coming back to me. And I, I'm pretty sure we said something along the lines of the roster isn't complete enough to add a few guys and then immediately Mm -hmm. get into contention and never in your wildest dreams. Certainly did you expect Semyon and Seager to come along and just immediately fill a gaping hole and push the Rangers back into contention. So I know I'm getting my head up ahead of myself, but Semyon, I don't think age is as much of a factor just because he's been productive for so long and he can continue to shift around the diamond. It's not like he's has to be a shortstop. He's not even a shortstop now at age 31 or 32, whatever he'll be at the start of next season. Yes, it's a long time. I think he'll still be productive. The the AAV isn't something extraordinary, and I think he's a really underrated player that'll just continue to produce no matter how old he is. Yeah, and you bring up the key point that that I think stuck with me after just kind of having time. You know, obviously I was excited that, you know, Number one, that the Rangers are, are putting their money where their mouths were, right? For for the last year, we heard, you know, the R word, the rebuild. And, and we heard towards the end of the season, John Daniels and, and Chris Young and, and the ownership group come out and say, you know what, we're going to spend money this offseason. Like, you can bet on it. And we've heard it before. And it's kind of frustrating as Rangers fans because we're like, all right, well, the last big free agent we really got was Shin Su Chu. And that didn't really work out, you know, that great towards the end of the, towards the end of his career. I mean, he was still productive on, you know, an on-base guy, but 
we were paying him a lot of money to really just be a de facto DH towards the end of his career. And, um, you know, so it, it's kind of like, well, who are we really going to go after? You know, I think the, the, the initial hope was Carlos Correa. I think that's what most, you know, a lot of Rangers fans wanted. And, and you know, you can talk about the the hate for, for Correa because he's an Astro and the cheating scandal. So I know a lot of Rangers fans were split on that, but Simeon was a complete wild card. I mean, I never thought that, that they would go after him. Um, you know, but I, I think the, the biggest key to getting to, to signing Marcus Simeon was something that John Daniel said earlier today in his, in the introductory press conference was it, it was the person that Marcus Simeon is. And he, and John Daniel said that he reminds him of Michael Young and Adrian Beltre, the kind of leader that he is and the kind of um, impact that he can make on a clubhouse. And I think that you can't really put a price on that. Oh, it's completely unquantifiable. Yeah. I think it's, not even a stretch to say that Marcus Semien is one of the most liked players in all of baseball. I have never once heard anyone say anything bad about him. In fact, it's been over the top, almost excessive praising for him. And you saw what he did with Toronto. Look how young that Toronto core mm-hmm. is with Vladdy and Bichette and Biggio and even guys like Teoscar Hernandez and Randall Grichuk. He elevated that core to an entirely new level because of the postseason experience he had with the A's for so long. And I completely agree with you besides all the stuff, like how good he is at the top of the order and how much power he has and how good he is on defense. Marcus Semyon is such a good clubhouse presence to have. And even if the Rangers aren't using the R word, if they're not saying rebuild anymore, it's still really nice to have somebody like Semyon who's leading that core as people continue to build, to develop. Yeah, and especially for a young organization that's got a lot of players, a lot of players in the minor leagues that you're going to bring up and and hopefully are going to be part of this core roster over the next three four years. It's I think it's necessary to have somebody like that, especially if you don't. Right, the Rangers didn't since Adrian Beltre retired. There's not really, you know, that kind of leader. Elvis Andrews tried to take that on, but his performance was so bad that it was kind of at that point it was we just have to get him off the books, um, and and, and kind of you know, get to this position where there's only $5 million committed next year. And so the the fact that the ownership was able to open up their, their checkbooks, uh, you know, it, it was a great feeling. Um, you know, Simeon, regardless of the age, I mean, the guy is, the guy is ironclad when it comes to, to, you know, being on the field. Uh, he's played yep. more games than Carlos Correa. Yeah. yeah. More games than Carlos Correa and Corey Seager over the last five years, full 162 game season in 2019 and 2021 that's unheard of yeah and i think he was the top three finisher in the al mvp voting in 2019 too mm-hmm. and yep. everyone thought that was his fluke year he had a little bit of a down 2020 as did most and then he came back with with just as much of a resurgence in 2021 what i keep coming back to about the rangers is this isn't the seager and semi moves aren't able to be done if daniels and young don't have this vision like they this is just Mm -hmm. so smart and it should be I remember talking about the front offices that the Rangers should be emulating I think it's starting to switch now and other front offices should emulate what the Rangers just did they put themselves in a position where they could start from scratch they had almost no money committed to anybody this year and they were able to sign two of the best middle infielders in the game. That doesn't, you don't just wake up one morning and have that type of financial stability. It obviously took a 102 loss season, which sucks mm-hmm. as, as a fan, but 
I mean, I I think if I was a Rangers fan, I would be happy with was with where the team is at right now. Yeah, and and look, the the Rangers tried to go hard after Anthony Rendon a couple of years ago. Thank God that 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 fell through because I think Rendon has just fallen off a cliff since he's yeah, been he's in in injuries. L.A. Yeah, um, but this. The more and the more I think about it, I, I try to think of, okay, what are the differences between a couple of years ago when we were going hard after Anthony Rendon um, and he turned us down for the Angels versus now and we're getting a guy, Marcus Simeon, who by all accounts had numerous suitors across baseball, right? I mean, the Mariners were in on him. Um, I'm sure the Blue Jays wanted him back. The White Sox need a second baseman. Um, you know, so the Red Sox, th- there's no shortage of suitors for a guy like Marcus Simeon. Um and, and I, I keep coming back to what's the difference, and it's Chris Young. It's the fact that that the Rangers brought in a guy who not only is highly, highly respected um, through by everybody in baseball, former player, won a World Series in Kansas City, pitched for the Rangers for a little bit, um, worked in the commissioner's office right next to Rob Manfred, kind of as like that ambassador to the players. And the he leaves a commissioner's job to uh, basically in line to be potentially the next commissioner of baseball to come be the de facto VP and, and GM of the Rangers. And his, like you said, his vision along with, with John Daniels, who's been scrutinized for the last 10 years for the moves that he's made. Chris Young seems to be the difference here in getting a guy like Marcus Simeon to commit. I was just going to say too, and it's the type of guys that he's gone after. Well, like we said, nobody has mm-hmm. ever said a bad word about Marcus Simeon. It seems like people are extremely high on Corey Seager too. And even John Gray, it's the type of players that they're going after you can't account for the type of injuries. Like you mentioned Rendon. I'm sure you would have been psyched if you got him. And then of course, 2020 yeah. hindsight, now that he's injured, you're you're glad that that didn't happen. So it all works out. But it's these type of players that you think fit well into the culture. Because even though it's kind of a wishy-washy thing, this was all built upon culture. If Chris mm-hmm. Young doesn't come in and build this, then who knows where the Rangers are? Who knows if they have players that don't want to leave and you have other financial restrictions none of that was a factor this year and that's why they were able to go after so many guys and i'm sure they had backup plans honestly i'm sure even if they weren't able to sign Semyon, they had backup plans because this is their year even though we when we talked about it we didn't think it was even necessarily the right year to go after it for them this was when they were going to go all in because they had the money to spend and you made a good point that it's 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 a blank slate, right? It's this is the Rangers made a very very concerted effort to get off of contracts, to make sure that they had basically no money committed, and and this pool and this crop of free agents is probably it's it's the best in that we've seen in a long time, I think, right? Just the overall depth of of free agents, but. Um, you know, you don't know who's going to resign with their teams in the next couple of years, so you can't bank on. Um, you know, certain guys, be, oh, is Aaron Judge going to be a free agent next year? Can we bring him in? No. What if he signs an extension midway through the season with the Yankees, right? If he gets traded for some reason to another team and signs a deal with that, you know, th- there's so many variables that you can't account for. So when the opportunity comes to be able to put, you know, put your money where your mouth is, like I said, you do it and you get a guy that culturally fits what you're trying to build. And and really coming off 102 loss season, you need to make that big splash to tell other, basically to show other players that, look, we're serious. We're serious about starting to rebuild this this team and rebuild this franchise. Um, you know, here's the first piece of it. So now let's go out and let's get a Corey Seeker. Did we probably give more years to Marcus Simeon than he did, than, than what was going to be, you know, what he probably would have gotten from someone else? 
Maybe, right? I think most cons- the consensus was probably five years, I think, um, is what people were saying he was going to get. But, you know, sometimes an overpay is, is, is necessary for a situation like this. Yeah, and it's so funny because I thought their move, the front office's move to appease the fans and to show other baseball players that they're back and they want to compete was signing Clayton Kershaw who was the aging vet that would be a really nice coming home story or even Trevor's story. And they mm-hmm. went a tier above that. So it just shows how competitive they really plan to be. And going back to what you were talking about earlier, that's the point that I didn't take into account enough. And I'm realizing now you can't put all of your bat, all of your apples in Aaron judge's basket. And P- Trey Turner's another big name like that mm-hmm. too. Everybody's expecting Trey Turner to come off in two years and be the most coveted free agent of the class. I would be floored if the Dodgers don't try and snatch him up early. They have to at this point. As long as they don't go after Correa. So I didn't think about that. We didn't talk about that as much when we were going over this, when we were deciding when the Rangers window would be. But I think it's such a good point because there's no use waiting for three years to see what's going to happen. You lock these guys down for 10 and seven years apiece, and then you build around them. It's like what the Mavericks did waiting around for, you know, kind of shunning off free agents and waiting for Giannis to, you know, eventually leave Milwaukee and then he re in the Supermax and now we're left with, okay, like now what, right? Um, so I'm, I'm glad that, you know, this was the first domino to fall and, you know, Simeon credited Ron Washington a lot as well. Um, you know, Ron Washington, you know, obviously the great former Rangers manager who led us to the two World Series, was a bench coach in Oakland and, you know, now third base coach for the, for the Braves. Him and Simeon are very, very close and Simeon talked to Ron Washington about, John Daniels and about Texas and Arlington. And I, I you know, I'm glad that a, a guy with a high character, like Ron Washington, being able to talk to Marcus Simeon like that and, and that kind of making him comfortable to accept the deal and, and coming here is, is how basically everything else starts to fall. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy how small of a world baseball is washes everywhere. Everybody's oh, yeah. oh talking to wash. It's so funny. And I didn't even know that connection. I forgot that he was the bench coach in Oakland too. But yeah. It, it all comes. It's so many factors. I'm sure Semyon was psyched that he was able to get that seventh year. I agree with you. I think a lot of other teams were probably closer to the five year range. So he gets that durability and there are just so many parts of his game. We we've talked about it. We don't have to beat a dead horse, but the, the durability, the longevity, the way he can play multiple positions and the culture and the clubhouse values, all of it just makes it such a good, such a good fit. Yeah. And, you know, he, you know, getting Marcus Simeon was kind of the first, the first big piece. And, and, you know, I actually watched um, a little bit of Corey Seager's introductory press conference today. Um, and, and I think just judging by how John Daniels was, was talking, how Chris Young was talking, I think that was their target all along. I, I, I don't think the Rangers were in on Carlos Correa at all. Yeah. I think Seager was their number one guy. I think the Connection to Chris Woodward um, was huge. Uh, you know, Woodward was was a third base coach for the Dodgers for three years before he got hired as a Rangers manager in 2018. So he's got a very, very close connection with Corey Seager and Corey Seager's family. Um, I think that was their main target all along, but they had to make that splash before. And Seager said it in this press conference as well, that the Simeon signing helped, right? Knowing that the Rangers were, we're going to go all in, um, you know, we're going to show that, hey, we're committed to building a winning franchise. Um, they had been talking for weeks, obviously, you know, since, you know, since the season ended and, and he, you know, Seager had been sitting down with, uh, with Chris Young, with Chris Woodward, um, and JD 
uh, and they made a promise that, hey, look, we're, we're going to show you that, that we're committed to building a winner coming off a 102 loss season. Yeah, action speaks so much louder. It's so much easier to come after you've got the guy. It's so much mm-hmm. easier to go to Los Angeles because of Mike Trout or to go to Philadelphia because of Bryce Harper. It's not easy to be that first guy. And I think it's even a difference between maybe this might not happen or it almost definitely won't happen now. Detroit and Correa, everyone was making that seem like the perfect match. And now obviously Javi Baez is there. Even with Detroit though, they've been on the upward trajectory for a couple years, for a couple years. And they paid Eduardo Rodriguez a lot of money. The Rangers are literally coming off one of the worst seasons in all of baseball. And they have money, but they haven't done anything yet. So the fact that they were able to do both of those signings within a span of, I don't even know if it was 48 hours. It might've been less than that. So I, I, I love what you said about showing the commitment. You have to show the promise because otherwise it's just a bunch of words. And that gets rid of the whole culture that they had tried so hard to build. You bring up a, a interesting point. I, I actually listened to you to, um, your last episode on your your podcast um, when you and Patrick were talking about had so funny that it's all teams that did not make the playoffs and that are coming off like really really bad seasons maybe not the Mets per se but you know these three franchises the Tigers the Rangers and the Mets that haven't made the postseason in over five years that are spending billions of dollars um, you know on getting these marquee free agents what what's what are your thoughts on that it's it's, it's mind blowing to me that we haven't seen the Dodgers haven't made a move. Uh, the Yankees, I'm surprised the Yankees didn't go after Seager. Uh, the Red Sox, I mean, they signed oh, what John Pax or James Paxson, but that's it. You know, a guy coming off a you know really bad Tommy John injury, and so it's it's kind of like what I'm. What are people waiting for this for the CBA? You know, to get resolved. You know, obviously we're going to be locked out tonight, but um, it's mind blowing to me that it's it's really teams that have not made the postseason in years that are taking advantage of. We've got all this money. We've got all these free agents. Let's just go after it before, you know, these big market, big money teams swoop in. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I have so many thoughts. Even Mark Melanson signed with the Diamondbacks today. And my first thought was like, even the Red Sox can't pay $7 million (laughs) a year to one of the best closers in baseball. He's going to go to Arizona. It's just, I, I think it's truly, I said this on the podcast it is so great for the sport. There's so much parody. And my other point was, I don't know if there are is any one division. I'm literally trying to think, maybe the AL Central is the only division that I could say the White Sox are the bona fide leaders. I don't know who's the leader in the AL East. Definitely not the AL West. Mm-hmm. You would think the Mets in the NL East, but also the Braves are always around. The Central got stronger with the Cardinals. And then the NL West is obviously one of the strongest divisions of baseball too. All I absolutely love that all of these teams are going in. The Giants are kind of in a similar situation. They just went absolutely beast mode last year and surprised everybody. But they're they have a clean slate. They have a lot of money to spend. They just haven't spent it yet. So the lockout was definitely odd. I can't imagine what the some GMs were thinking because I, I kind of heard some some notes and news that Chaim Bloom, the president of baseball operations for the Sox, sat back because he mm-hmm. was planning on making moves after the lockout. But if you do that, then you run the risk of all of these coveted guys going first. So they already lost out on um, Marcus Semien and some of the pitchers that they were in on. That being said, 
the guys that are still left are still going to get some serious money. The Strowmans, the Correas, the Castellanos. So it's interesting. I think the lockout had to do with a lot of it, but when it comes down to it, all of these non-playoff teams, the Blue Jays are another one. The Blue Jays didn't make the playoffs Mm -hmm. last year. They're just spending so much money because I think they are done with their rebuild. It just so happened that all these rebuilds finished at the same exact time, which doesn't happen all that often. It's crazy because I think the Rangers were in the worst position of all of them. Yeah. Of oh, all I these teams that are. I completely agree. The, all these teams that are trying to rebuild, I mean, they all at least have shown progress. The Rangers have just gotten progressively worse over the last five years. And now they go out and spend $500 million. And it's kind of like, as a fan, I mean, I love it, right? I, I love the fact that you're bringing in a guy like Simeon, who, to be honest, I mean, I, I, I watched him obviously when he was in Oakland because he would play us, you know, a bunch of times a year. And, um, you know, it, when he was in Toronto last year, I mean, it was hard not to to see highlights of him just because of the year that he was having. But Corey Seager was the guy that, you know, for me, we talked about this. It was either Correa or Seager. That's who I wanted. Um, and I was willing to put all of the, the Carlos Correa, you know, cheating scandal and, and ego and all that stuff aside because it's Carlos Correa. Um, you know, but Seager is just the relationship he's got with Chris Woodward. Um, you know, he seems like a very, very likable guy by all accounts. Um, and, and, I think he's going to be a great fit. Um, you know, the the concern that I know that most Rangers fans, at least that I've read and, and I've seen on Twitter and stuff, is is the injury history, right? He had the torn UCL a couple of years ago. So being six four, playing shortstop is is not really ideal. Um, but but I think you know, like you said, with Simeon's positional versatility, you can kind of move them around and put Seager at, at second base a couple times if you need to. You can DH him if you want to. Um, there's enough there that I think it's it's worth the risk to to pay him, you know, to, to keep him in Texas for 10 years. Oh, 100% worth the risk. I, I've been wondering a lot lately because Carlos Correa also had a lot of injury concerns before he played this full year in 2021. I wonder if Corey Seager was able to stay healthy, if he had been healthy the entire year, if those injury concerns also would have kind of flitted away like Correa's did. The thing that's tough is that this year, he was hit by a pitch in the hand and he mm-hmm. missed like 60 games. So that's tough. That's, that's not an injury concern. That's a freak incident. He's already, he's had, he's obviously had other more significant injuries in the past. I do not think that should have been any sort of hindering factor. If it was a hindering factor for any team that is straight up dumb because the talent that he has shown for however many years he's been in the league far surpasses that. 10 years is a lot. I wasn't expecting 10 years, but I do think he's worth the risk. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised. I think from what I read, it, it came down to the Dodgers and the Rangers. The Dodgers tried hard at, at the end of the, you know, kind of end of the weekend as, as talks were winding down. that um, They tried hard, but they weren't willing to go up to $300 million. Um, I think that was kind of the... Um, that was kind of the stopping point there. Not that it was about the money, but I, I think Seager also, the like I said, I think the relationship with Chris Woodward's it speaks volumes. Um, and, and I think the chance to, to come in and kind of build a franchise back up and he's had success at Globe Life. He's actually the leader in home runs at Globe Life. Um, <laughs> so the, the postseason from two years ago. Yeah, so kind of funny. Cool. Um, and I think he's top since 2020, he's top 10 in, in OPS um, and uh, in line with players like Harper and Trout and Juan Soto, Trey Turner. So guys that, you know, obviously other than Turner power hitters and Seager's a 20, 25 home run guy, but the guy will get on base. He led the league in doubles a couple of years ago. Um, you know, this ballpark plays right into his strengths. He's also a lefty bat. 
which is which is one of the coveted things needed. in the shortstop market. Yes. Too. Yeah. And for yeah. for the Rangers especially. Yeah, I wonder too. I remember you and I talked about this with Correa. Correa was linked to a, lo- a lot of non-playoff teams from last year because he wanted to be the guy, the almost the the big fish in a small pond, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wanted to be the guy that everybody else built around. And I wonder if that that appealed to Seager at all, too. It's obviously great to be on a team like the Dodgers because you're going to win the NL West almost every single year. But it's also kind of cool to go to a team like the Rangers and you be the build, the rebuild like it was with, with Bryce Harper and, and the Phillies. I wonder if that went in at all. And, and Semyon signing at the same time, maybe the two of them, mm-hmm. that really kickstarts what the Rangers' vision is. Seager and Semyon are the vision and that's got to be a cool feeling and now you have arguably the best middle infield in baseball i mean it's it's amazing to think you know we're, we're talking we're going back to michael young and and ian kinsler days you know this is 10 15 years ago when you know you would be you were guaranteed that you know those double plays you're gonna get you know three four double plays a game if, if a ball is hit in the right way you know so it's been a long time since we've been able to say that so i'm it's super exciting you bring up an interesting point and i wonder had the Dodgers not traded for Trey Turner last year to Seager stay in LA? Do you think that rubbed him the wrong way that they went out and got a guy that that plays his position, knowing that he's a free agent? They've got him for another year, right? Because Turner was a shortstop. They wanted Turner wanted to play shortstop uh, when he came to LA, and and they didn't want to move Seager off of it and move him to second and kind of go through that positional shift. But I have to think that you know if, if I just human nature, if you trade for a guy that plays my position who's got another year on his deal and you know that I'm a free agent, like I'm thinking in my head, like you're not serious about keeping me around. Yeah. That same type of narrative is surrounding Boston because a lot of people are saying they need shortstop help, but you can't walk on Xander Bogart's toes like that. That would be so rude Mm -hmm. and that would make him so mad. It's the same type of thing. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. And it also seems like I didn't realize this at the time. I don't know if this was something I missed or it wasn't as much of a focal point. It definitely seems now like Trey Turner was the key piece of that trade and Max Scherzer was almost the the added bonus. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought that was the case at the time because so many pitchers in uh, the Dodgers' rotation went down. But that's very interesting. Obviously, Trey Turner was able to play second and Gavin right. Lux, I think, was the starting second baseman at the time. And that's a pretty significant downgrade from... Turner or Seager but it wouldn't surprise me if that was a thing he can go out and get 300 especially if they're not even going to cross the 300 million threshold I'm sure Corey th- Seager's thinking all right then I'm going to go test the market yeah and, and I, I'm I'm shocked the Dodgers at least I mean I know they tried to retain him I, I mean I kind of get why they wouldn't go over 300 when you've got Trey Turner I'm shocked the Yankees didn't go after Seager I thought that was a perfect fit for them um and and, and I've got a couple of friends who are Yankee fans who are, who are going crazy. The fact that every, like all these players that they thought were good fits, they're just Brian Cashman's just kind of sitting on his hands and not, not signing anybody. Uh, it's good for me because, and you, because we don't like the Yankees. So it kind of works yeah. out, <laughs> um, but you know, it's just, it's funny. So, so the Rangers go out, get Simeon, get, um, get Corey Seager. The other big deal that they signed was John Gray, which we talked about this a little bit a couple of days ago when the signing happened. I liked the deal until I saw the terms and I was kind of thrown by the numbers four years, $56 million, which seemed outrageous to me. Um, 
because it he is you know obviously a Rockies pitcher coming from Coors and and you can't really you don't really know how how the altitude is going to affect them. He's he was actually a better pitcher at Coors Field than he was on the road. Um, but the more and more I've looked into it, I think the the main reason the Rangers went after a guy like John Gray is the guy eats innings. I mean he he is solid bet to go six seven maybe eight innings every start. The consistency that we haven't had since. Not even Lance Lynn, even before that, Cole Hamels um, has been lacking in this pitching staff. And and that's our biggest area of weakness. Yes, we had the worst offense in baseball last year, but we had the third worst pitching staff. So it's it's not, you know, you can't really pick your battles there. You kind of just have to go with the flow. And, you know, John Gray, he's he's a perfect kind of rebound candidate that the, that the Rangers have gone after, like guys like Lance Lynn and Mike Miner. Oh, my God. You just sold me on John Gray right there. I was <laughs> you, that was that was awesome. I was really pissed that Hyam Bloom didn't go after him. Same thing you said until I saw those terms and I thought, oh wow, that that's not a flyer. That's a that's a pretty significant contract. But what is the perfect thing for a young developing rotation? It's a guy who can go out there and pitch six or seven innings a night, or even if it's five or six innings a night. That is so valuable. And anyone who has ever heard me or Patrick talk on our podcast knows how much we love that. That's why we love the Zach Wheelers and the Lance mm-hmm. Lynn's and in his prime, like the, the Verlanders and the Keikles, those guys just went out there and pitched. And I think that matters so much more than strikeout numbers or ERA. And I am interested to hear what you think about this. I was very gung ho about the Rangers when they made those three moves. And if you want to add Cole Calhoun in that too, and I was like, legitimately, I think in two or three years, the Rangers could be in a serious contention spot as in a division title or a deep run into the playoffs now that i've looked at the rest of their roster i still think there are a lot of moves to be made but gray is at least a good start and him over say a scherzer because if financial flexibility financial restrictions isn't a thing here then you think okay why couldn't they have thrown money at a scherzer it's because the timeline doesn't match up at all you give ray a gray four years you see how he fits how the team is shaping up and then worst case you extend him a year or two years and you see how he does i agree with you everybody this winter is trying to find the next robbie ray candidate and it does seem like so far john gray is kind of a good measuring stick we'll see how he does next year and i think the rangers were in on him from the beginning because i didn't see anything about them being you know gossman was out there robbie ray was out there who i thought both Obviously, Robbie Ray won the Cy Young, so a, a great pitcher. Um, but I, I didn't see the Rangers in on any of them. I, John Gray was was kind of we heard there were rumors about it on Friday, and then Monday the signing happens, and it was kind of like it seemed like there was no other interest in him. And the Rangers, you know, just threw fifty million dollars at him, and, and he took the deal. It's consistency for me is is the big thing for for this team. Like we talked about earlier, they're, they're trying to build that culture back up, right? We've got so many young pitchers that are coming up through the system that, that pitch. There were like 10 pitchers that made a start last year, uh, just at the beginning of the year before the all-star break. So it's, it's not like we've had that guy, that one cog in the machine since Lance Lynn or Cole Hamels. Like I said, can John Gray be a top of the rotation guy? Maybe not. He might be best suited as a number two, number three. Um, but if he's your number three pitcher and he's giving you seven innings every game, I'll take that every single day of the week. I feel the same way. I'm looking at his baseball reference page because I thought maybe he had an all-star appearance and he doesn't, but in 2019, he had a three, eight, four ERA. He threw 150 
innings. Insane. Year before Insane. that was 172. He also threw 168 in 2016. Those are the numbers that you're looking at. And that 168 was in his rookie season too. So his numbers are never going to be flashy. And that's strikeout numbers. That's velocity. That's runs given up. But at this point, you need a guy who can eat innings. And I think that is the perfect solution. And he's got a he's got a very good mix of off-speed pitches that that work well with the dimensions of Globe Life. Um, I think his his slider changeup combo is is gonna play well, especially, you know, with his ground ball rate. Now that you've got, you know, that defensive, you know, infield kind of all set, at least on the left side with Seeger and Simeon and potentially Josh Young or even Isaiah Kiner Falefa if he starts the year at third base you know, that's going to help lower that ERA as well. I don't, I don't take too much stock into ERA anymore. I know it's kind of, it, it used to be the big, like, oh my God, you have a ERA over four. How, you know, how dare you? But there's so many more other advanced stats that we need to look at. And, and innings pitched, I mean, if a guy's giving you 150 innings a season, wh- what more can you ask for? Yeah, especially now, it seems like nobody's out there for more than five innings. So I love that quality. And talk about the differences in ballpark between cores and globe life. Oh, my God. John Gray must be so happy. Uh, he's He's got to be ecstatic. It's like crazy. So I'm excited about that. The Cole Calhoun deal, um, you know, it's it's a two-year deal. I think $10.5 million with a team option for the second year. Not a bad sign. I mean, Calhoun, when he was with the Angels, just completely wrecked the Rangers. So it's kind of nice to see him on our side of the field now. Um, I think he just adds a little bit of more bench depth. Again, more left-handed hitting that the Rangers solely need. Another uh, left-handed outfielder, which is kind of a, a an iffy position going into the season with guys like Willie Calhoun, who's injured uh, constantly. And also, it's all freak accidents, getting hit in the face with pitches and things like that. A guy like Odoles Garcia, who regressed towards the end of the year, and then unproven guys like DJ Peters and Leo D. Tavares. So you bring in a veteran guy like Cole Calhoun who can, you know, maybe shore up right field while you sit and wait for potentially a Joey Gallo to come back, um, you know, next year. So I, I think it's a good, it's an under the radar signing. It's not anything that's going to be flashy, but if he can, you know, come off the bench or even platoon in right field and hit 230, 240 with, with 15, 20 home runs, I'll take that. A hundred percent. Yeah. You're just continuing to add the depth. And I forgot that DJ Peter was on the Rangers. I think he's actually a pretty good player. I think he can, oh, yeah. he can log some innings. Yeah. He had some, some flashy moments too. He was on the Dodgers before that, right? Yeah. He just got outrighted to triple a, um, when okay. we had to do our non-tender cut. So Billy McKinney, who, who just acquired from the oh, Dodgers yeah. was let go, uh, Yoho Pozo and then David Garcia, two other catchers, um, that were on the major league roster, both got non-tendered. And then Peters was outrighted straight to AAA. The Rangers really liked DJ Peters. I, I can tell you that. They kind of, it's, he's a good right-handed power bat that really hasn't gotten a chance to stick anywhere. And the dot, you mm-hmm. know, when he was with the Dodgers, he he was kind of that late inning sub or or pinch hitter. Uh, but he's going to get his chances uh, with Texas. Yeah. yeah, that's strong. And so my question to you is, how confident do you feel in the roster construction right now as we're talking? And what else do you think they need to do? <sighs> Good question, because that was going to be my question to you. Um, <laughs> so I I don't think this team is ready to contend yet, right? There's a lot more that's needed. But I, you know, it's funny because if you would have asked me, or I mean, we talked about it a couple months ago. What do I think the Rangers should do, right? What do I think needs to be done? And, and like I said, my answer was build up your farm system, build up your prospects. But when you open a new stadium, and, you know, you've gone through five losing seasons and I, I think ownership just got tired. And I think bringing in a guy like Chris Young, 
he kind of changed the mindset around the organization that, look, we've got the money to spend. There's no point in waiting around. There's always that that notion that proven talent is better than than perceived talent, right? So why not go out and get proven players as opposed to guys in the minor leagues that may not pan out, right? I mean, 90% of these guys don't pan out. So why not go out and get Marcus Simeon, get Corey Seager, bring them in and start that process early. Um, if you ask me now, I think they're probably third in the division. I think they're better than the Angels. Um, I think they're better than the Athletics now, finally. Uh, but the A's are always like, A's are always sneaky, right? I mean, they're always somehow good. Um, so I think they're second or third in the division. I, I still think the Astros are better. Um, they've got a better pitching staff. They've got better core players with guys like Alvarez and Bragman and Kyle Tucker. But this is a good place to start. Um, the thing that excites me the most is everything that I'm reading says they're not done. This isn't like we've got our two guys, we're done. I would not be surprised if Clayton Kershaw signs now that Corey Seager is signed. I think that's the next domino to fall. Um, and I think he takes a discount to do it uh, because I think they'll let him rehab and I, I think they're not going to rush him back and he may come back in June, July after he comes back from injury. Um, but I think he's the next domino to fall. And then, you know, the Rangers need some more outfield pieces. Um, I don't think they're going to go after a guy like Castellanos. I think that's too expensive and... and He's probably better suited like a J.D. Martinez type um, at DH. Um, but the the core is there. And now the most exciting thing is there's finally prospect depth where you can make trades like going out and getting a Matt Olson from Oakland, who by all accounts, Oakland is ready to tear it up um, and ready to ship players off. And Texas has done deals with Oakland in the past. So can they look at packaging a Nate Lowe and a couple of pitching prospects or an infield prospect to get Matt Olson? from the A's and shore up, you know, that side of the field. So there's so many opportunities now for the Rangers when you've got guys like Josh Young, who's going to come up next year, if not start opening day, Jack Leiter, Cole Wynn coming up in the pitching staff. So the, the future is there. You're starting, you're just starting that rebuild process a year too early. Yeah. I guess the question now is when is this timeline going to happen? Do you need to do Olsen, Kershaw, Granke, et cetera, all in one off season? I'm not sure the answer is yes. I think I would be more surprised if they put more resources into fielding an offense as opposed to pitching, because they have a shining example in their division of a really, really talented offense that continues to lose games because the pitching staff just is not there. So I definitely think the Rangers need to prioritize pitching because when you look at that depth chart, John Gray's, I mean, John Gray's the ace of that rotation right mm-hmm. now. Right. And and that's not necessarily a place you want to be in. And when you go behind him, it continues to get progressively worse. So I definitely agree with you. I, I, I do think Kershaw will sign with Texas and maybe they can get some other lower names. I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. I definitely don't think they're in on a Stroman, but no, uh, but some of the like a, a one or two year flyer guy, there's there's nothing wrong with that. You see how they do. You catch lightning in a bottle like a lot of teams do. And like a lot of these free agents end up doing like the um Logan Webbs and even Robbie mm-hmm. Ray on a different scale. But I, I agree. I think they have the prospect depth. You see how that pans out. You still don't get too risky in year one. Cause again, you have seven years of Semyon and 10 years of Corey Seager to work with. It doesn't all have to be done in year one, but you continue to see how those prospects do. Then you package for all these in- incredible pitchers that we talked about the Beavers, the Rogers, the, 
etc so i i agree i think that's what their their plan is looking like right now and i think that was told to Simeon and, and seager right i think chris young kind of laid out the plan that hey look here's what our prospect depth looks like here's what we're not going to make the world series next year we may not win the division in 2023 but come 2024 when our ace of the staff is jack Leiter and we've got cole win and maybe we make a trade for a Shane Bieber or something like that because of the prospects that we have. Great. Now you've got, you know, a a solid rotation to go along with, you know, more young prospects in the infield and the outfield that are hitting their prime. Uh, It's, it's look, you got to start somewhere, right. And, and getting guys like Simeon and Seager really set the bar. And and not only that, it it tells other free agents that we're serious. It's not, we're not going to go try to, you know, trying to go out and, and beg, you know, people to come and, and play for the Rangers who are a perennial hundred loss team when we're not showing any signs of improvement. So the first step is to get secure that commitment um, from these players that, that are going to be a part of this for the long haul. Uh, and and that's how you kind of get the ball rolling. So now you start going out and, and Rangers are already fielding calls and guys like Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who now is, who is going to be the starting either shortstop second baseman or third baseman. And now there's, crazy trade interest in him, particularly from the Yankees um, as they're waiting on Anthony Volpe before they don't want to bring him up too early to play shorts up. So why not take a flyer on a guy who's got two arbitration years left, a gold glove winning infielder in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Do the Rangers maybe attach a Trevor Hauer um, or another pitching prospect and say, Hey, give us back Joey Gallo. I mean, that solves one off. That solves one outfield spot right there. Yeah. There are so many in, interesting packages that you can do at that point. I think, I think they, if they look at it in a couple of years, they're going to be in such a good spot. And we were dead wrong when we were talking oh, about completely this wrong. We, we thought this was going to be the conversation in two or three years versus what it is right now. But I agree with you. I they're, they're in such a good position and they can also capitalize on other teams because they got their deals done early and to go even further I don't think either Semyon or Seager was overpaid. Maybe you give Semyon too many years, but they're not financially hamstrung like the Yankees might be if they have to pay Carlos Correa 10 years and $330 million, like something ridiculous like that that they just can't handle. And the Rangers were very smart. It's just another tick in the box of how this all went back to their vision they were very smart about how they were going to allocate their resources because they know they are not one guy away. They are many guys away. So you can't overpay a player because then that puts back the entire rebuild that you had just seemingly got out of. And I, I worry, I, well, actually, I don't, I hope, but I worry that teams like the Yankees and, and other teams that are contenders, but still aren't world series teams are just going to ridiculously overpay a guy and then not be able to do anything else. Yeah, and I, I have I have to think that Chris Young and John Daniels, to some extent, had some knowledge of how the CBA lockout was going to go and that certain teams were going to sit back and kind of be patient and you felt think, that, yeah. you know what, we've got to swoop in right now. Because yeah. if there wasn't a lockout, I don't... I, 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 I don't see how the Yankees aren't spending $300 million on somebody like I, it, that's always the team that you, that you expect to go out there and, and get the big name free agent, right? When there's, when there's guys like Correa and Seager out there that seemingly are perfect fits for that organization. 
um, at a position of need. And it's mind blowing that they're not the first ones in line for it. And I think the CBA lockout um, has a real effect on that. And, uh, and I think Chris Young and, and um, you know, these other teams that have made some big splashes like the Mariners and, and, uh, and Steve Cohen and the Mets are taking advantage of that before the big market and the big money teams can swoop in. That's a really good point. That's, why all these teams were contenders last year yeah and it might not seem like 28 to 30 million dollars annually is a lot for a guy as high of a caliber of a player as Correa or if they did give Seager the same contract but they've also got Garrett Cole and they've also got John Carlos Stanton and they Mm -hmm. do have to think about whether they want to extend Aaron Judge and they probably want Matt Olson so they have so many more balls up in the air versus the Rangers who have nobody and have the, again, I keep saying flexibility, but it is, it's such a luxury to have the flexibility that Texas has right now. And the crazy thing is it's still not a lot of money. Like it's 30 yeah. million for Corey Seager, but our payroll was 5 million. So it's, it's like, that's still, you're not even to 50 million yet in payroll. Um, even with Simeon, I think you're right. You're at 45, 48 million. So the Rangers said they were going to they were going to have a payroll of over 100 million dollars. So there's still another 50 million dollars to spend this year for this team. Do I say do I suggest that they go spend it all? No. Like you said, let's let's do it the right way, but you're kickstarting the process um much faster than I think than I think we realize. It, it's just it's refreshing to see after all this time when we're told we're going to go after the free agents, we're going to go after free agents that our owners and and our front office finally you know, kept their promise basically. And, and the first day a free agency are out there making these four crazy deals. And we're like, everybody's kind of around the league is like, what is happening right now? Yeah, I think it's great. And it's great from a, the Texas perspective. And it's also so great for baseball. Pat and I were talking about this tweet and it was no franchise or no owner can't spend money. They just don't want to. And right. finally, this year, we saw so many franchises that aren't known for spending money pay a lot of money. And it's just, it's refreshing is the perfect word. It's so refreshing to watch. We're no longer getting pummeled by the Padres moves and the Giants, uh, the Dodgers moves, and even the Yankees and the Red Sox. People get tired of that. And interestingly, it hasn't worked for the Yankees. So What's That's stopping yeah. what's stopping what the Rangers are doing or what the Mariners are doing? Maybe that'll work because throwing millions and millions and millions of dollars at John Carlos Stanton obviously isn't moving the needle for New York. There was a meme I saw on Twitter also that said Garrett Cole is now the third best pitcher in New York. <laughs> yeah, I love that. After DeGrom and Scherzer, which I thought was really funny because <laughs> yeah. it's just it's it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I, let me ask you this because I, I, I'm kind of curious where. What do you think happens with Carlos Correa now? Because obviously he's not signing today, right? I don't think any. I don't think anybody's going to sign because there's no time for physicals and uh, negotiations and all that before midnight. Um, and the, when the lockout starts, I assume the lockout's going to be everything that I've read is two, three months. So we're talking mid February probably before um, anything comes back, which could be good and bad because you can kind of, as a front office, you can kind of sit and evaluate your roster a little bit better and and. Um, kind of look around the league and say, okay, what, what trades can we make? Uh, but you can't have those conversations with other teams, right? So it's more of an internal process. But I'm interested to see where Correa signs because I thought I thought he would have been one of the first off the board. And we were talking about this before we recorded that, and that baseball needs this free agency period, right? Where 
they've got to have the set time where free agents can sign. And we don't want to be waiting around until February, like we did for Bryce Harper, waiting for him to sign when everybody knows that it's, you know, he's going to go to one of these few teams. Um, but with Correa, it kind of seems like a crapshoot at this point. Like, I don't know. I would have thought the Tigers, that's where I initially pegged him. And I'm surprised that they went after Javi Baez instead. Me too. I was shocked. That was probably the most shocked I've been in this free agency signing so far because the Tigers was just completely out of the blue and Javi Baez was completely out of the blue. You don't think of him as the player you build a franchise around and you definitely think of Correa as the guy you build a franchise Mm -hmm. around. Yeah, so I actually thought Correa, Seager, Castellanos, Bryant, Ray... I thought those guys would sign after the CBA because owners would try to throw money at them before because they want to be comfortable. All the things we Mm -hmm. talked about, about getting out there early and it wouldn't be the money they thought they deserved the ceiling of it. So I was surprised when Seager went, I was surprised by when, when Ray went, I'm really, really curious about Carlos Cray. I think at this point, I mean, if Seager is going to get honest, if Seager got 10 years, 325, you think Correa gets eight, three twenty? I mean, I, I truly do think Correa is the the top of the class. Freddie Freeman's another guy who hasn't signed to, which is interesting. But I, I digress. Yeah, I, I, I digress. <laughs> um, Correa, I think Houston's probably back in the mix now. I think New York's in the mix. I think the Dodgers are in the mix. Brian, I think probably goes back to San Francisco, but I think the Phillies would be a great mix. Strowman is a really interesting arm. The Red Sox are tied to him, but I'm not sure if they're going to give him the five years that he wants. That's a big mm-hmm. time contract. And then you've got the lower tier, but still game changing guys like Cassiano. So I think it's all about money for them. I think the last one today, I got a notification that Chris Taylor and the Dodgers are nearing a deal. So maybe that's the last one we'll see before the lockout at 1159-59 and he was another big big name too I, I was hoping the Red Sox would go after him because he's so versatile but I it's wonder like souped up Kike Hernandez basically yeah exactly and then it would have been perfect because all these guys post Dodgers do so well like Kike and John yeah. Peterson <laughs> I, I wonder if after a couple of years once the CBA is all ironed out if people will look back on this and GMs will regret not going after it early or they'll give more insight into what that decision making process looked like because it does just seem stupid that Brian Cashman didn't just go after Corey Seager and then you could have gone into the lockout feeling much more content about where your roster is. Yeah. And, and the lockout I'm sure has a lot to do with this, but I I think it's going to be interesting to see. I agree with you. I I would have thought, you know, Correa and Bryant at least would be two of the first dominoes to fall. Cause I, I always thought Bryant was going back to San Francisco um, so I thought they would just, I thought they would just give him, you know, the deal he wants and, and bring it back in. The Phillies are a really interesting fit because of his friendship with Bryce Harper. Um, he loves playing center field and they need a center fielder really badly. So it's kind of a perfect fit there. It would not shock me at all if Carlos Correa ends up back in Houston at this point. Like I, it, I'm, it's kind of terrifying to me because I don't want him there anymore. Um, but it, it seems like that's going to, I don't think he's going to, I keep thinking like if he would have if he was going to get 300 million, it would have been from us or the Tigers. And I'm trying to think of what other team other than the Yankees is going to throw 300 million dollars at him Um, because the Dodgers, I I think they when you trade the prospect depth that they traded to get Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, you've got 
to re-sign Trey Turner. And I think Trey Turner is going to get 200, 250, maybe 300 million. Um, they're already paying Mookie Betts, you know, a lot of money. Are they going to pay Cody Bellinger, uh, you know, when he's a free agent? Um, so there's a lot of questions there from the Dodgers perspective of can they, you know, they have the money, obviously, but are they willing to go into the luxury tax, whatever those new figures are after this new CBA is is agreed upon? The only team that makes sense now is the Astros. And unless another team swoops in or do the Red Sox come in and move Xander Bogarts to second base and put Crea at, at, um, at shortstop, I mean, I, I'm trying to think who else could come in and, and afford a guy like that. Yeah, I would be absolutely floored if the Red Sox did it because everything High and Bloom has done so far has just been incremental moves that end up paying off. I mean, if he's not going to spend, if he's not going to pay Mookie Betts, I don't know if he's going to go out and pay Carlos Correa two or three years later. Yeah, I think it's a short list. I was very surprised to see the Tigers, not just because of A.J. Hinch, because this is an up-and-coming team that needs the guy, and Correa wants to be the guy. It was like the perfect fit. Yeah, I, I guess maybe I'll throw in the Mariners. The Mariners could probably pay Carlos Correa $300 million, and but it would probably be between Correa or Bryant. And for the Mariners, I would rather have Bryant. And they've already sense. got J.P. Crawford at, at shortstop. Yeah, and so they, have, are you... they have publicly committed to me, to him. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and so now are you moving off of your shorts? So it's all, a lot of these teams have established shortstop. I mean, he's not going to Oakland. He's not going to Minnesota, right? Like, oh. He's not going to these... Yeah, the, these big teams. St. Louis is still an option too. But are you going to pay Correa, Goldschmidt, and Arenado because they don't want Paul DeYoung anymore? And we haven't talked about Trevor Story. You've obviously still got Correa as the top yep. tier, and then Trevor Story is the tier below. So I think we're, it's weird enough to say it, but Trevor Story might be the more appealing candidate right now because he's still an above-average player, but you don't have to throw the type of disgusting money at him that – a team is going to have to do to Correa. And that's what makes me come back to, to Houston. I think they're just going to bite the bullet and do it. And then they're back to being the best team in the AL West, which is disappointing for pretty much everybody. Which is infuriating, especially for us, because it's like, yeah. here we are with Simeon and Seager, and now we've got to deal with these guys again for the, yeah. and, and Carlos Correa for the next eight years. And it's like, oh yeah. my God, like what happens? <laughs> um, we well, thought it's, it was it's, done. Yeah, I thought it was done. I thought this was the year I was like, finally, like they're done. Like they had their five year run. Like, let's just let's mm-hmm. end it now. Let's kind of go back to the early 2010s when they were awful and the Rangers were making the postseason every year. Yeah. Um, but hey, look, it's an exciting time to be a Rangers fan. I love free agency um, in any sport except the NFL because it's kind of boring. But yeah, um, NBA and MLB free agency is amazing, especially this year. It seems like all these deals happen so quickly. Um, whether that was the CPA or, or whether it was just teams, like we said, you know, that are, um, you know, trying to get back into the postseason and taking advantage of um, of just the situation that they're in. Um, it's a great time to be a baseball fan and it's a great time to be a Rangers fan. I'm, I'm super, super excited for, uh, you know, for Seager and, and Simeon and John Gray and whatever other moves, um, you know, that the front office makes, hopefully Clayton Kershaw and somehow yeah. pulling off a, a trade to bring back Joey Gallo and th- that'll be I'm I'm fine with that that's a perfect off season for me <laughs> yeah that's a pretty good wish list now it really is going back to what we said earlier it's so refreshing to see teams spend money and to make a concerted effort to make themselves better because it feels like we strayed away from that for a little bit and you're right it's going to be a long winter starting tomorrow once the lockout starts but 
I would much rather have all of these deals happen, have all the excitement that that was. And we're coming off of a really strong trade deadline too. The trade deadline was really, mm-hmm. really fun when, when the Scherzer and the Turner deals went down and the Padres were in the mix and then they weren't. So it's it, the bottom line is it's fun to watch teams spend money. And that's what we've been getting for the past couple of months. They can spend it because we don't. It's perfect. Exactly. Exactly. It's we're fantastic. living through them. Yeah. <laughs> well, Emma, thanks again for hopping on. Um, for for whoever's listening, make sure to check out Emma and Patrick's podcast called Did You Hear? Also on Spotify and Apple. Uh, you can find Emma on Twitter. Just follow. You can find her on my Twitter because we are always exchanging uh, tweets about baseball. So make sure you yeah. follow her. Thanks, uh, everybody, for listening to this episode of Metroplex Mania. Be sure to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And until the next time, talk to you later.